0: Hi, this is Joe Rubenstein, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 119 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That is Mr. Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob. You may ask yourself, what is that beautiful house? You may ask yourself, where does that highway go to? And you may ask yourself, am I right? Am I wrong? And you may say to yourself, my God, what have I done? (laughs)
1: it's so appropriate rick because we are in fact
0: just a couple of talking heads (laughs) (laughs) it it is so many different ways of being appropriate for today's episode bob Mm -hmm. Uh, but yes that is the song once in a lifetime And, uh, you know, I could make some sort of corny joke about it being once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit here and talk with you, Bob, but I'm not going to do that.
1: Yeah, because we do it every week. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, But it is The Talking Heads. Now, now Bob, when did that song come out?
1: Oh, Rick, you know, you always challenge me with these, but I I do remember that, right? Because this had Uh to have been in 1981, because that was in the heyday of my youth
0: you would be oh. so close bob No, it came out in november of 1980, 1980. so it was playing it was totally right. playing in 1981 yeah. Yeah. on the air.
1: that album right yeah it yeah was playing but for a good year and a half
0: yeah but that that was one of their earliest big hits yeah and uh talking heads and it did come out in november of 1980 do you know what else came out in in november of 1980 bob oh i don't really I don't. Yeah. You, you know how the show works, right?
1: <laughs> we well, uh, we yeah. cover
0: a few comics. Uh, yeah. Well, we, we pick a, a time frame. Uh, true that, true that. I and, did look uh,
1: up 1981 though. So I'm, I'm really
0: prepared, <laughs> really. <laughs> uh yeah. yeah so today we're covering Captain America 253 and 254. Now, they have a cover date, Bob, of January 1981 and February of 1981 but 252 has a release date of October 14th 1980 and the other one November 11th 1980 so this song was coming out at the same time these comics were hitting the rack so I thought that was appropriate now you may also ask yourself my god what have I done Am I right? Am I wrong? We're going to debate that, Bob, as Cap makes a serious uh, decision. And uh, it's a life or death decision in this story. And I think you and I are probably going to want to talk about that a little bit.
1: We probably will. Yeah. It's just, it's such a momentous thing that I I don't want to spoil it for anybody.
0: Okay. And then the last thing that brings us all back together, Bob, who is the lead singer of The Talking Heads?
1: Gabriel Byrne.
0: No, no, it's an actor, I think. No. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. David, Byrne. David
1: Byrne. Oh, David
0: Byrne. David Byrne. And yeah. who's the artist for these two issues, Bob? Yeah, John Byrne. Yeah. You're amazing. Isn't you're it? Amazing. Doesn't it all come you're, back together?
1: Yeah. No, I want to ask you, were you a Talking Heads fan?
0: I was. I was. I, I, I got more into it, I think, uh, after the... Uh, what, what album was it well, where it had and she was um and up all night uh-huh, uh-huh. you know those those like was that mid-80s like 1985 yeah, maybe yeah, mid, mid-80s probably yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i more got into them then i think but i i liked them before that
1: okay okay
0: not you I, i'm, no, I'm seeing your nose the- a little scratched up there <laughs>
1: I was never a big fan of the Talking Heads. There was one song that I uh, that I found amusing, and that was "Psycho Killer." And, say, "Yeah." And I and I remember I used to for a while I was humming that to myself, and I got me in trouble <laughs> once because I was with my my friend and his dad, and uh, we were going to a doctor's appointment for his dad, uh-huh. and I was like in the back, you know, just sort of like going through that song, humming uh-huh. it, and singing it to myself and we you know we pull in and his dad goes in and we were waiting in the car and i'm like you know what is this all about anyway and it was his psychiatrist so uh i just felt really (laughs) bad about (laughs) like like he thought i was like making fun of him or something (laughs) and that always kind of stuck with me
0: uh yeah no i bet i mean here you are coming along psycho killer (laughs) um yeah i mean like speaking in tongues came out in 1983 that had uh, burning down the house. Um, so that was one of their you know earliest hits as well. Then I, I think the one that I liked was Little Creatures because that had um, and she was Stay up late, um, Road to nowhere. Um, yeah, I had that album. I think I played the heck out of that album. Um, And then uh, I think the next year they came out with another album, True Stories. That was actually really good too because that had, oh God, what did that have? Wild, wild life. So anyway, our little talking heads.
1: Yep. Recap there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Birthdays coming up this week, Bob. There's a a couple of Captain America creators that have birthdays this week. Uh, Keith Pollard. Now, Keith Pollard um, had done uh, so many different Marvel comics and other other as well, but he's really well known for Marvel in the seventies and early eighties. Um, he actually did like a half a dozen covers for Cap in the late seventies, like from that like two twenty nine to two thirty seven era and um some of those covers you would know as soon as you saw them you're like oh that's instantly recognizable so that was like when um the the what's his name master director grand director right Mm -hmm. when he's on the cover with the burning cross yeah right the one where sharon carter supposedly died you know she's there with the machine gun you know pointing it at cap uh, there's another one where he's on a motorcycle jumping over like a World War II Nazi camp. Ooh, that's a
1: great cover. Yeah,
0: he he's a he's a fantastic um, you know artist. Uh, anyway, Keith Pollard, he's celebrating a birthday. Uh, he's turning 73 on January 20th. So happy birthday, Keith! And another artist with a birthday on uh, January 22nd, turning 53. That would be Alex Ross
1: wow, fifty three he still has some time to get it together.
0: <laughs> Maybe one day he'll make something of himself, yeah,
1: that's right. You know, I, I hope I hope this for him,
0: yeah. Um we have another really famous Captain America artist having a birthday next week. In fact, stay tuned to the end of this episode, where we'll talk about what we're going to cover next week, which involves another, birthday boy and we'll also kind of reveal a, a few plans that we have for for a few coming up episodes uh i know we talked about during the anniversary episode we were going to look at what's the next big story we're going to cover mm-hmm. uh, on a on a monthly basis like that, an ongoing story well we've got that picked out so we'll probably talk about that at the end of this episode Ooh, i like that we're going to reveal
1: secret plans
0: indeed Excellent. yeah but you know what Bob, let's get to this this story because it's going to take a while. It's only two issues, but it is a fully packed two issues. You know, we have John Byrne with his layouts and Roger Stern with his dialogue. It's just jam packed. Like every one of their of these uh, twenty two page stories. It starts and ends with a big splash, but everything in between is five or six panels. And every single panel has word balloons. Um, So this is going to take a little while. And Bob, I don't know what I was thinking. This this story takes place in England. They have British accents.
1: They they speak differently. They do. Yeah.
0: And I'm going to have to do British accents for multiple people. Bob. I have one British accent. Both men and women, <laughs> they sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize right now to our friends in the UK. I I'm going to not I I'm going to sound like a a cartoon character doing a British voice is probably what's going to come across. Yeah. Apologize right now. Uh, but for those um, who are Roger Stern, John Byrne fans. I highly recommend you go back and re, uh, listen to episode seven, which is where we covered uh, Captain America two forty seven through two forty nine. That was the Machine Smith um, story, uh, which was really cool. Introduction to Bernie Rosenthal. Um, so we covered that in episode seven, and then in episode fifty eight. We covered 251 and 252, which was the Batrock and Mr. Hyde story. And Bob, here yeah. it is, episode 119. We're finally getting to uh, another stern burn. We kind of didn't want to, you know, get through them too fast because there's yeah. not that many episodes yeah, or I mean, issues. Yeah,
1: it's not a deep pool.
0: Yeah. So when we so, get done with these, I think we're only going to have like two two issues left.
1: Right. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to jump into this, you know, because, um, you know, there's this there's this convergence here, right, between this story and the invaders.
0: That's um, true. Which, and I know you're a big invader. Yeah, star. I'm
1: a fan of those. So I'm I'm antsy to get into this. Then revisit visit with some of my old friends.
0: Let's do that then. Let's start with the cover to issue 253. And let's talk about the creative team. On this, we already mentioned the writer Roger Stern and the penciler John Byrne. They're also kind of like co-plotters, right? Um, they they both, you know, plot these out, and then Stern does the the dialogue, and Byrne does the layout. So he did the pencils, and then um, anchor is Joe Rubenstein, and uh, Joe uh, was a guest on the show. Um, highly recommend you guys check that out. Um, he was on an episode, not, uh, actually episode eight, uh, is when we had him Way back then. Yeah. Yeah. So check out episode eight. Uh, Joe <laughs> told some really interesting stories about, mm-hmm. well, first of all, his career, but also working with John Byrne and what that was like. And some of the, some of the interesting stories behind the stories, shall we say, um, the colorist bob sharon and listen if, if while we're on a roll might as well tell you go listen to episode five we spoke with bob sharon legendary colorist from the 70s 80s and 90s um we have letterer jim novak and editor jim Salakrup. so on this cover to 253 i think a lot of people if they saw this would be instantly recognize this cover it is a very eerie looking cover where it has the the red white and blue logo um it has the john Byrne corner box where he's he's running uh 50 cents will get you this and it says tomb of blood and we see cap walking into um you know, kind of looks like a barn almost the way way it's laid out sure, with yeah. the wood and the rafters. And he's coming from outside in the nighttime and he has a flashlight and the flashlight has a glow. And what is he looking at? He's looking at a casket, a wooden casket that is being opened and you see the white paley arms from the inside pushing it open. It's a very eerie looking cover. Now, when we talk with Joe Rubinstein about this, uh, he had an interesting story behind that. And I I I I don't want I wanted him to do it justice. I don't want to ruin it, but he talked about the process of of the style, of how he uh over top of John's pencils, what he did to make this have a sketchy, uh, eerie look. So um it was a it was a good. Uh, good story there
1: it's it's a it's a it's a stylistic approach that you don't you don't often see um, so it does stand out as a, as a cover indeed particularly among among cap covers
0: so we'll read the on the opening splash page we'll read the top because we haven't done that for this time period in a while and it reads 1940 as a the world teeter on the brink of global war Frail Steve Rogers entered a secret laboratory and was transformed into the American super soldier. For four thrilling years, he battled the Axis powers until a freak stroke of fate threw him into suspended an animation. When he awoke, he was a man decades out of his time. Since that fateful day, Steve Rogers has sought his destiny in this brave new world. Stanley presents Captain America. And what's the title to this one, Bob? Should old acquaintance be forgot? I was kind of hoping you would sing that. Um, so this big splash page, uh, again, very eerie. Um, it's late at night. It's storming. The rain is coming down. There is a British constable holding a lantern. And there is uh, another man uh, looks like a doctor because he has a doctor's bag, and he has an overcoat and hat. and um, and they're in a town. And what we see in the in the that's all in the background, in the foreground, we see a woman's hand laying face up, and she's unconscious, apparently, or worse. The rains washed down on the small British village, not far from the north of London. They are not cleansing rains. Over here, Doctor, looks like the bloody slash is struck again. Blast! That's the third victim in less than a month. When will it all end? Let me get to the next page. And he's laying, he's kneeling over top of her. Hmm. "'That's the slasher's work, all right. "'The neck was broken, throat mutilated, "'and I doubt there's an ounce of blood left in her. "'Poor girl. "'At least the end must have come quickly. Gore, doctor, "'to think that there's a bloody madman "'like the slasher running around free. "'What man of a man kills an innocent woman "'and then drains off her blood "'like a slaughterhouse pig?' "'A very sick one, constable. "'Come, help me get the lass's body to my office.' Then we best inform her ladyship of this. And how would you describe this man's face, Bob?
1: You know, he has a um, you know he he he's, he he's got a brown hair with gray highlights or white highlights. You know, it's mm-hmm. long and flowing. He's got a, an equally long and flowing beard and mustache. He's wearing round spectacles, and uh, you know, he's he's an older gentleman, haggard. Right? Mm-hmm. He's got a certain Dr. Faustus look to him. A little if, bit. You know, yeah, a little bit. Right? And he's wearing, of course, a, uh, uh, what are those hats called, Rick? Is there a brim hats? I don't know. I don't know. It's like an Indiana Jones hat, right? I, I guess common hat that you might see.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and those spectacles that he has uh, look, they look very thick. Like he's got really bad eyesight. Yes. Minutes later, at a nearby manor house, and you know, listen, if if people aren't familiar with John Burns' work for whatever reason, he's a master of detail. And look at the the layout of this of this manor, right? I mean, the windows, the shrubbery, the the bricks, I mean, such detail.
1: right. I'm thinking who who washes those windows?
0: And who cuts the shrubbery? Who cuts the shrubbery? (laughs) I want some shrubbery and a white picket fence. I was just waiting for that. I was. I was. Sorry about intruding at such a beastly hour, Lady Crichton. But you're asked to be kept posted on this slasher business. It's quite all right, Constable. I had yet to retire for the evening, and I dare say... That I doubt that I'll get any sleep this night. Something must be done before the slasher claims another victim. I still have some influence with the Scotland Yard, you know. I'll bring Inspector Sweeney in on this right off That's very good of you, your ladyship. Uh, how might I ask? Is your father doing? Father as well as can be expected, Doctor. Thank you for asking. That medication you gave him seems to have eased his chest pains, though I'm afraid he's still stubborn as ever. And then we see up on the second level, looking down in this grand uh, living room, which is at high cathedral ceilings, is a man in a wheelchair. But he's in shadow, so we can't really quite see him. And uh, how would you describe the, the lady? Well,
1: she is uh, she appears, you know, probably not a young woman, but not an old one. So, middle yeah, age. Mid- middle age, for sure. Um, She's wearing a green house coat. She's blonde, blue eyes, um, clearly an upper crust lady Mm -hmm. in her upper crust home. Mm -hmm. Lady Crichton, the name sounds familiar.
0: Yeah, And she, uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, I'm just, I wouldn't say she's pudgy, but she's, you know,
1: She's put on that healthy yeah, middle. She's, yeah, she's
0: that, average for uh, a, right. a middle-aged woman, right? Yeah. I, I just don't want people in their minds uh, envisioning a typical, you know, thin, lean right. comic book, you know, female as artists tend to draw. No, right. John's doing a nice job drawing, a, you know, a, a,
1: a real person. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And then the the old man in the wheelchair. His thoughts are. I've told them how this slasher is, but they ignore me. Can't they see that the devil has returned among us? He must be stopped, but there's not a man among them who is capable. No, the only man who could stop these murders is an ocean away. And then we cut to the New York Harbor, and we see the city skyline. Six time zones across the wide Atlantic lies New York City. It is a great city a world city, but even the greatest cities have their share of human vermin. And we're looking inside the window of a liquor store. And I like that perspective that John did, right? Like, we're outside from the street looking through the glass in the window. And what's happening, Bob?
1: Well, it appears that uh, the proprietor is being robbed, Rick.
0: Come on. I know you got more. Gotta have more dough than that. Hand it over. I have already emptied cash register. That is all I have. What more do you want for me, blood? If they do, they won't get it. And there comes Cap. But just as Cap is coming, the man turns with his shotgun. With a desperate suddenness, the armed robber whirls and fires both barrels of his weapon at this bold figure who dashes through the doorway. But fast as the gunman is, his action is much too slow. It can't be. No man has dodged a shotgun blast at this range. Mister, I was dodging a lot worse than that, a lot closer than that before you were born. There is no braggadocio in the voice of the colorfully, colorfully clad man, only calm confidence as he takes out one opponent and turns to chase after the second. And so the, what, the other guy's running out the back alley uh, behind the store captain america i've heard about him most of my life but i never actually thought he would was for real i gotta get out of here that fellow has a pretty good head start still i could easily catch him before he reaches the end of the alley but i don't have the time to waste right now this way will be faster and then we see the back of cap as he's looking at the guy running away and he flings just with his right arm And he stretches it, stretches back, and you just see him just fling the the shield. And it ricochets, and then it ricochets, and it makes a noise.
1: Clang, clang.
0: Powered by nothing more than his good right arm, Captain America's shield ricochets down the alleyway, swiftly arching back in on the fleeing felon. And it hits him right in the gut. busted thing knocked the wood out of me but i got it now and he don't and he reaches in and he pulls out his his gun looks like a 45 magnum bob 45
1: magnum really
0: that's what it looks like is it
1: just a 45 yeah
0: oh (laughs) are they not one of the same
1: no no yeah 45 colt which is just Typically, yeah, you and know, it looks you know what we had in the military back in the day until uh-huh. they it with nine millimeter Berettas. That looks like what that is, just a forty. Well,
0: what's a magnum then?
1: A magnum is a is a larger round, uh, and they have they have, semi automatic pistol magnums like uh, Desert Eagle, uh-huh. uh, but usually they're revolvers.
0: Oh, okay. The, so there's no such thing as a forty five magnum. No. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for <laughs> correcting me. Different round. round. I've only been saying yeah. that for like. You know, forty-five years. <laughs> no pun intended. Okay, man, hold it right there. I got a piece. See, and I'm not afraid to use it. I love this panel. Cap just walking up to him as he and he has just just walking up, right? Comma's B, and the man's pointing the pistol at him. I don't doubt that a bit, son. But I'm not afraid either. I didn't need my shield to avoid your buddy's shotgun blast. And I don't need it now. If you want to shoot me, go ahead and try. But remember this. A lot of men have tried. A lot of men who failed. Unless you feel like you want to fail more than you already have, I advise you to hand that thing over. For what seems to be an eternity, the trembling hoodlum stares up into the alert blue eyes of the costumed man. Feverishly, he weighs the odds. It should be impossible for the Avenger to keep from taking a bullet as he closes, as, as close as he is. But this is Captain America, he faces. And Captain America, it has been said, does the impossible. In the end, there's only one sane response. And he puts his head down and he hands him the gun. Here, take it. I think it would be best if you took this, sir, and he hands it to the shopkeeper. This man will be giving you any more trouble. Oh, boy. I'd be betting not. That one you hit, he still is out the cold. That was the most amazing thing I ever see. I called the police. They be here soon. Fine. Then you won't be needing me any longer. Just keep an eye on that one, okay? For the man who saves mine life? Anything. God bless you, Captain. One fast flip up a fire escape, and Captain America is once again vaulting over the rooftops of the city. Normally, I would have waited around for the police to arrive, but this particular evening, I have a very important engagement, and I'll be late for it if I don't hurry. Ah, good. Here's my portfolio, right where I left it. Hopefully, there won't be any new emergencies calling for Captain America's attention this evening. And in his portfolio is his change of clothes because it's about time that steve rogers enjoyed a night on the town and he's got his shirt half on half off when he says that
1: how many times do you think somebody looked out and saw somebody butt naked on the roof of an apartment <laughs> building in new york city in the middle of changing his clothes you know oh, it's another superhero
0: yep or, <laughs> or you know what it, it could be just another night in new york
1: just another night in new york that's true
0: A quick change of clothing and freelance artist Stephen Rogers slips back down into the city streets and heads for a certain Broadway theater where the lovely Bernadette Rosenthal awaits, more or less, patiently. I should have known better than to expect Steve to be on time. Hello, Bernie. Sorry I'm late. Have you been waiting long? Well, not long enough for moss to grow on my north side, Steve. No, you're not all that late. I think we could still get to our seats before the curtain goes up. That's a relief. I was afraid we'd miss the opening number, and I've been looking forward to seeing this show again for some time. Oh, you've seen it before? Once. Years ago. Though I doubt you'd believe me if I told you the year was 1943. And what's the show, Bob? Oklahoma. Oh, come on, Bob. Say it with feeling. Oklahoma! <laughs> what the hell was that i don't know <laughs> i thought you said you were uh, uh, a uh, uh, musical theater guy one
1: that, one that i do not particularly enjoy oh
0: Oklahoma. Yeah. okay
1: oh well you know can't win, can't win them all
0: hours later after an evening of rogers and hammerstein steve and bernie returned to their brooklyn heights apartment building Now, I I, I like that it ended with the word building because it almost was like they returned to their Brooklyn Heights apartment. I'm like, wait, they don't live together. And then it said building. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right, because they're neighbors. Come on, admit it, Bernie. You kidded me about wanting to see an old Fogies musical, but you really enjoyed Oklahoma, didn't you? All right, it was a kick, but I still think, oh, Calcutta would have been more fun. Yes. Well, I don't think I'm quite ready for that just yet. Cream with your coffee? Please. And she's just relaxing on the couch. Have,
1: have you seen Old Calcutta?
0: No, I, I have not. I have not? No. Unless my son's in it, I'm not going to see it.
1: Yeah. You know, everybody's nude.
0: I hope my son's not in it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a very avant garde musical that came out in the late 60s, early 70s. Really? It had, it had short like vignettes written by, you know, I think John Lennon one wrote one. Um, Samuel Beckett wrote one. There was like a five or six or seven different vignettes written by famous people, but all the performers were stark new stark naked. Yeah. Huh. So Steve, not quite ready for that. Yeah. I
0: I <laughs> now I know why Steve and I are so much alike. <laughs> uh wasn't hair. Didn't hair have naked people, too? I think
1: it had a little bit of nudity in that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, Steve, you're a constant puzzle to me. You're bright, witty, but your tastes are so old-fashioned. Gil Diaz charged, Bernie. I'm afraid I'm just an incurable nostalgia buff. I'd rather listen to big bands than the rock, and rather watch an old Bogart film than most current movies. Well, I'll agree that some of the older movies are among the best, do you remember Bogey and Lauren Bacall and to, to Have and Have Not? Sure. One of my favorites. I especially like the scene where Bacall said, If you need me, Steve, just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you? And she gets leans into his arms. Mm-hmm. You just put your lips together and... Ring! It's the phone! <laughs> Hello? Who is this? Jarvis, sir. Sorry to call so late, but a cable just arrived for you. For Captain America, rather. At Avengers Mansion, and I think it could be important. You think? Yes, sir. It's apparently in some sort of code. All the cable says is, The Fats in the Fire, Time to Wave the Flag Discreetly, Tally Ho, and it's signed, Falsworth. I see. Thank you.
1: Who's Jarvis. Well, as this note says at the bottom of the panel, Rick, he is the butler to that world-famous super team, the Avengers.
0: That's true. Jarvis was right. It was a code, one I haven't heard since World War II. Steve, what was that all about? Bernie, something's come up. I have to go to England right away. It's personal business. I don't know how long I'll be gone. I know we talked about going out on an outing this weekend, but, but now... Oh, that's all right, Steve. An old boyfriend of mine is due in town this weekend. I'll be fine. Well, I'd better leave you so you could pack. Have a good trip. And she hands out. If only I could have told her, explained how I am needed overseas. But the burden, the duty of being Captain America, is something I dare not share with her. Not yet. And in, in the outer hall, Bernie, who's holding her coat and her boots, just puts her head in her hand. She's so disappointed with herself. Why did I lie to Steve like that? Was it just because he wouldn't confide in me his personal business? That boyfriend story was so childish. Oh, what's the matter with me? Hours later, a sleek Concorde jetliner streaks eastward over the night darkened Atlantic at faster than the speed of sound. What's the sound effect for that one, Bob?
1: never flew on a Concorde, but i will say that was my dad's dream oh yeah he really wanted to fly on the Concorde until it crashed of course and killed everyone aboard and then he changed his mind But, (laughs) but that had been his long-standing and they discontinued the service that had been his long-standing dream
0: oh well i'm glad he didn't go
1: i'm glad he skipped that one yeah
0: yeah actually it was a trick question bob because it is faster than the speed of sound
1: oh Yeah. It still makes a sound. It just, it doesn't (laughs) hear it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is that how that works? Yeah. I hadn't realized the airfare was so high. My ticket just about exhausted the cash reserves I built up in my savings account. I'd have borrowed an Avengers Quinjet, but the coded message in that cable said, to come incognito. So it made more sense for Steve Rogers to use a commercial flight. It's been a long time since I was in England. I still remember the first visit, back in 1942, when London became the base of operations for the team Winston Churchill called the Invaders, the Human Torch, the Submariner, and I formed a quorum of that group, along with the Torch's flaming psychic, Toro, and my own partner, Bucky. For four year- long years, we fought the bizarre Nazi menaces of Fortress Europa, and for most of the years, we were joined by two daring British heroes, the mighty Union Jack and lovely young Jacqueline Falsworth, who became the Fleetfooted Spitfire. Who are some of these villains back then? Bob? Oh,
1: some great ones, right, Rick? Master Man, the Blue Bullet, the Face, Agent Axis, Warrior Woman, the Scarlet Scarab, and of course the aptly named Asbestos Lady. <laughs>
0: what the hell is <laughs> a best... asbestos, Lady? What does uh... she live in the in the in the a... In the attic, like what? what, what she what? may
1: have, you know, what she may have been able to ward off human torch and Toro, but not lung cancer.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, but um, uh,
1: meso- mesothelioma. Yeah,
0: I gotta say, the blue bullet was one of the stupidest villains, even as a kid. I had an Invaders comic uh-huh. and I had one that had the blue bullet in it, and I was just like, there's just a blue bullet like going around in a house chasing. Like how does it go around the corners? Like, I don't understand.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's no one-armed tiger man.
0: That's true. Yeah, that was an armless tiger man.
1: Arm, one arm, about the armless tiger man. Is it arm, one-armed or it was armless? armless. Was he armless? Yeah, oh, yeah, he had no arms, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah, you're right again, right?
0: Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and and I just want to say, uh, I would have an editor's note at the bottom of our caption. For more Armless Tiger Man, see Episodes 111 and 112 as Rick and Bob review Cap and Black Panther, Flags of Our Fathers.
1: Indeed. Can't get enough Armless Tiger Man.
0: And in the end, our efforts help bring about the downfall of the madman Hitler and his twisted Third Reich. Sir, can you please fasten your seatbelt? We'll be landing soon. Sir? Oh, Oh, certainly. Pardon me, I I guess I was daydreaming. Sometimes it all seems like a dream. Shortly at London's Heathrow Airport, now for the hard part, getting through customs, because, you know, he's got that large attached case, which has his shield and a few other things. I'd rather not have the inspector throw open my suitcase and let everyone see my shield inside until I know the nature of the emergency that the cable had hinted at would be best if captain america kept a low profile next i'm in a bit of a hurry sure mate everybody is let's see your passport now do you have anything to declare and he's showing him inside his passport the avengers priority clearance and that he's captain america uh right you are sir everything's in order have a good stay sir next let's keep it moving one long cab ride later. That's a that's a cool looking taxi.
1: It it's is. Like a, yeah. It's like a
0: Rolls Royce looking taxi, is doesn't it?
1: it? It's, it's one of those, I guess, old you know looking British taxis. Right?
0: Well, it's Come on. It's not. It's not yellow. It's black, and it's it looks like a Rolls Royce the way the front of that car is. I don't know. So he's at the gate, and he's going into the garden area. Fallsworth Manor. It hasn't changed a bit in all these years. I still recall the early strategy sessions the invaders held here, when this was our temporary headquarters. I wonder what sort of emergency could have arisen that the Fallsworths couldn't handle themselves. Well, whatever it is, I'll soon find out. And he comes up behind uh, a lady crouching over some some garden area. Pardon me, ma'am, but is the lord of the manor about? He is, but I doubt that... Steve? Steve Rogers? Jacqueline? Good heavens, it is you. You've come back to us at last. Jackie, you little spitfire. It's been a long time. Too long. Here, let me look at you. Oh, it's like a miracle. You haven't aged a day since the war. Just the result of an unplanned accident, lady. I spent a few decades on ice. Literally. The science boys called it suspended animation. Yes, I, I know. I, I read about it in the Times. And then she turns away from him very suddenly. Jackie, is something wrong? No, no, it's it's just that uh, I'm a mess. Let me clean up and, and then we'll talk. I was younger than he was. And now I'm older, so much older. And let's think about that, Bob, right? It's, it's 1981. Right. It's been... Almost 40 years, right? Since they've seen each other. Yeah. So she's I mean, is is she 60?
1: She, yeah, she I'm sure she's at least 60. She was in her early twenties, right? Um, when she was Spitfire. She was young, but she was probably in her early twenties.
0: Okay, well, yeah. but even let's say she was even 18, right? Let's say. Yeah. Then that would put her at 59. I mean, so yeah. she's yeah, she's around that 60 range, Okay.
1: Right. All right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because in that, he said he had been uh, on ice for a few decades. So even here, we see the sliding timescale working a little bit,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good catch. Soon in the mansion's solarium. Bob, you have a solarium at your house, I do don't you? I have
1: one. Yeah, it's right out back.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because you live in Florida, right and, next and to the
1: planetarium. <laughs> so, no, the you do,
0: don't you? Don't you have a by solarium? By the crematorium, huh? Yeah. Don't
1: you have a? <laughs> we have a lanai. It's just the screened in, yeah, screened in patio with uh, with pool. We don't call it a. So I think solarium has glass.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And this ours is just just screened. Oh, so. uh, all,
0: right, all right. Yeah. You know. You're in America. Oh, so, yeah. You know, we do it differently here.
1: Yeah. Right. You'd have to have a solarium map further north, right? Because it's yeah, it gets cooler when it gets where it gets cooler. Otherwise, it'd be freaking hot.
0: No, oh, doesn't it get hot with the screens though? It does. It's hot outside.
1: It does get hot, but like the, the ceiling sun, fans, the, the the glass would like magnify the solarium,
0: oh yeah. it would be like wind. a mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be like a sauna. Yeah, like a greenhouse. That's true. Anyway, after I came off the ice, my memory was a bit addled for a while. There were blank spaces in my past which I couldn't account for. Why, in my first outing with the Avengers, I didn't even recognize the submariner. It was just recently that my full memory returned. That's why I never wrote or called. No need to apologize, Steve. I quite understand. Things were here here have, of course, changed over the years. Now he's referring to when he didn't recognize Submariner, that was in Avengers Four, right? So when he right. and the Avengers fought the Submariner, he didn't recognize when I mean, we've talked about that before. Right. Yeah, neither
1: of them recognize each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But in cap two forty-seven, which was in the beginning of the John Byrne Roger Stern, he talked about having his his memory returned. Because if you recall that was when he was looking at his, his footlocker. And he could start remembering things, mm-hmm. right? Right. So. Yeah. My powers of Spitfire gradually faded with time, and my brother Brian, the second Union Jack, died in an auto accident in 1953. I married Lord Crichton in '56. I was widowed just three years ago. I'm sorry. I, my period of mourning has passed, Steve. Besides, I I do have a fine young son, Kenneth. Who's away at school? I moved back here a year ago to look after father. Oh, but you haven't told me what brings you here. Why? I came in answer to your cable for help. Cable? I sent no cable. No, I sent the cable. Lord Falsworth, I knew you'd come, Stephen. I always could count on you. Good to see you, sir. I—I hadn't expect. That is, surprised to see me among the living. Ha! "'We Falsworths are a hearty breed. "'But there is business at hand. "'Deadly business. "'There's been a series of murders in the area recently. "'The police are calling the murderer the Slasher, "'but I believe that he's our old wartime foe, "'Baron Blood.' "'Father, that's ridiculous. "'Baron Blood is dead.' "'No, he is undead, Jacqueline. "'A vampire, as well you should recall. "'And each of the so-called Slasher's victims "'have been drained of their blood.' I told you before, the constable thinks the slasher's some lunatic, one who perhaps thinks he's a vampire. At any rate, he's not Baron Blood. I had Scotland Yard check, and Blood's remains are still entombed in the Tower of London, where they have been since the war. Poppycock! Blood is a master of trickery! He's fooled them somehow. I can feel it in my bones! I tried to convince the Crown to permanently put an end to Baron Blood years ago, but no! "'They wouldn't listen. "'There's only one way to totally destroy a vampire. "'Decapitation. "'And then the head and body must be burnt separately.' "'Please, sir, it's time for your medicine.' "'Oh, very well, Hodgkins. Stephen, I'm an old man. "'But you... "'I understand, sir. "'I'll check things out for you. "'Bless you, son.' "'I'm sorry, Steve.' I'm afraid that father has become a bit senile. Don't say that, Jackie. Don't ever say that. He may be old and enfeebled, but I saw the look in those eyes. His mind is still as sharp and clear as the days when he was Union Jack. And if he thinks Baron blood is behind these murders, then Captain America is going to investigate. I owe him that much. A short time later, in the offices of the village doctor, so we go back to the doctor we saw in the very beginning. You'll be fine, Jenny. Just keep taking that iron supplement, and you'll be bright and full of energy in no time. Yes, Doctor. And the constables with Captain America. Begging your pardon, Dr. Cromwell, but there's a gentleman here who'd like to ask you a few questions. Captain America, I say, this is an honor, sir. I saw you in action during the war I did I'm sorry I can't say I recognize you, Doctor, but I had a feeling we'd met before. I understand that you've inspected the bodies of the Slasher's victims. Yes, I double as the local coroner. This Slasher business is a dirty one. Murder and mutilation. Obviously the work of a sick mind. Obviously. But isn't there a possibility they could also be the work of a vampire? What? How? How dare you mention such superstitious claptrap in my presence get out out of my offices I don't care who you are I'll not have such lunacy propounded here but I ouch so he and the constable leave and I just want to go back to a few panels when they introduce and he says I'm sorry I can't say I recognize you doctor about to have a feeling we've met before. Remember when we we talked about that? Yeah. That Steve has the uncanny ability due to the super soldier serum. He has the what, what type of memory do they call that?
1: It's uh, it's like a photographic memory, right? That's not the term you're thinking of. I don't think that's no. It's like it's an, an inducted
0: right? or something. Yeah, yeah, something. I but yeah, yeah. But but we talked about that. How he has the ability to remember each and every one of the soldiers that he served with who he's met and that's why there are times where he he'll he'll come across a, a soldier and someone will say oh i i saw you and he goes oh yeah you're private benjamin or whatever and tell yeah 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 but he doesn't recognize him yeah. but he does have a feeling they'd met before a little caps intuition maybe perhaps mm, interesting "'So the constable is walking Cap out. "'Sorry about that, Captain. "'I should have warned you that that doctor is sensitive on the subject of vampires. "'He probably noticed them scars on his face. "'Well, he got them a few years back when he was brand new to the village. "'There was a vampire scare in these parts back then. "'Some claimed that Dracula himself was in the land. "'Well, sir, some of the locals thought they trapped a vampire in the doctor's cottage, "'so they torched the place.' Doc Cromwell arrived to see his house go up in flames. The townsfolk hadn't known his daughter was inside. He rushed in to save her, but it was too late for the girl. He was pretty badly burned as well. He grew that beard to cover the worst of the scars. I can understand the doctor's reaction, but vampires do exist. My battles with barren blood during the war proved that to me all too well. Dr. Cromwell won't help me. I'll just have to look elsewhere. In one form or another, the castle-like structure known as the Tower of London has stood here on the banks of Thames for some 900 years. Much history is tied up in the dark passageways of the Tower and is rumored that the ghost of Anne Boleyn, second wife of King Henry VIII, often walks the Tower Halls. But it is no ghost who roams these corridors this afternoon. No, this is a living legend. I appreciate Scotland Yard being so cooperative, Inspector Sweeney. You were saying that Baron Blood's body has lain in state here all these years? That's correct, sir. He was Lord Falworth's brother, after all, and the legal question of how to dispose of a member of nobility, even if he was, well, undead, was never satisfactorily decided. Still, and all, we we've taken every possible precaution— Blood's tomb here is festooned with garlic. Religious icons, all things abhorrent to vampires. Unlock the vault, Reg. Yes, sir, Inspector. There, Captain. Blood's beer, sealed and untouched all these decades. So it appears, but there's only one way to be sure. Right you are. With careful, deliberate movements, Inspector Sweeney loosens a series of clamps that hold on the heavy iron lid. And then, what do we see, Bob?
1: Well, it appears to be barren blood lying in a casket on a bed of garlic with a stake through his heart.
0: And, and his face is it's just a skeleton.
1: It is the skeletal remains, yeah.
0: There he is, Captain. Not a pretty sight, I'll grant you. But as you can see, there's no way Baron Blood could be the slasher. Yeah? You're wrong, Inspector. Dead wrong. Good Lord, man. Have you taken leave of your senses? Put that stick back or the vampire will revive. We've nothing to fear from this body, Inspector. This isn't a vampire. This isn't even the skeleton of a man. Soon, in the coroner's lab in New Scotland Yard... He's right, Inspector. That body of a 20-year-old woman. Been dead about 12 years, I'd say. No telling how long she'd been in that tower. Incredible. I knew that body didn't look right. I've seen many, too many, in combat. But this means that Baron Blood may have been loose for a decade or more. It Doesn't mean that he's a slasher, but he's a very good suspect. Yeah. Look, like I owe you and Lord Falsworth an apology, Cap, I didn't know how this could have happened, but I promise you we'll launch an immediate investigation. Good. You can count on me for assistance, Inspector. If you need me, I'll be staying at Falsworth Manor. And so, as night falls, if Baron Blood is the slasher character, then I'm sure he'll strike before too long. Of course, Blood could have left for some remote corner of the world, but I doubt that very much. He's too tied to this area. Entering the mansion, Cap finds Jacqueline Falsworth, Creighton, in the midst of a family disagreement. If you were going to bring your... your friend home for the holidays, you might have at least given me some warning. Don't hear me that, mother. It's not the lack of warning that annoys you. You just don't like me palling with... around with Joey. You think he's too low-class. Well, if you must be so blunt... Um, pardon me. I, I hope I'm not interrupting anything. We'll discuss this later, Kenneth. Your art school chum can stay for the time being. Do come in, Cap. I want you to meet my son, Kenneth Crichton. My pleasure, sir. Mom's always spoken very highly of you. Ken? Yeah, and I'm Joe Chapman. Ken and me are the best mates at the art school, you know? Cor, cool. I never thought I'd be shaking hands with Captain America. Me Uncle Austin told me he yawns about you. You're right in good shape for an old sod. Pleased to meet you, Joey. You seem to be in fairly good shape yourself. That's some grip you have. Yeah, Ken and me are both on a wrestling team. Can't he go a few rounds? I hope you boys can delay your match until I have a chance to speak with the captain. Well, Cap, what did you learn? Nothing for certain about the identity of the slasher, Lord Falsworth. But you were right. Baron Blood is on the loose. I knew it. I knew it! He has to be the slasher. No one will be safe from my accursed demon brother until he is finally eliminated for all time. Father, please, remember your heart. Cap, are you certain? Very certain, Jackie. Now, if you'll excuse us, I think I should confer with the Lordship for a while in private. Not mean to be disrespectful, Kay, but... Is your grandpa old? There, he don't sound like it. I don't know Joey, but it hurts to see him like this. Shortly in the library, look at the look at that library, Bob. You want a library like that at home? Oh my God, Rick!
1: It just seems a lot.
0: It does.
1: Yeah. It's intimidating. Like, where do you start? You know.
0: You don't. Yeah. You just look at
1: it. <laughs> it's wallpaper. It really is.
0: That's how I feel sometimes about my comic book collection. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> they all think I'm mad. I know, sir. Stephen, bare blood robbed me of the use of my legs. And time has sapped my strength and my health. Sometimes I feel like my mind is all that's left me. Tell me. Honestly. Am I losing that, too? No, Lord Falsworth. You're as sane as any man. We can't be sure that Baron Blood is the slasher, but I agree that he probably is. These village murders may be some sort of mad warning. Whatever the case, I'm willing to stay here until we get to the bottom of this, and I promise you, we will find Baron Blood, and we will stop him. When I hear you talk like that, Cap, it takes me back to the war. Those were... Horrible days, to be sure, but dark days. But somehow the world seemed more innocent than more hopeful. Thank you for coming in answer to my cable, Steve. Thank you. By the time the moon is full in the skies, Fallsworth Manor has grown dark, a great stony fortress amid the rolling British countryside. But along one cornice of the structure skulks a twisted gargoyle-like form, a figure not of stone and mortar, but of unliving flesh and bone. This is barren blood. And he's in costume that we would recognize from World War II, Bob. He sure sure is,
1: Rick. Uh, It's an odd costume, right? I mean, Mm. it's, uh, it's like a bright, almost fuchsia. Purplish, yeah uh, leotard would you call it that uh, what, what do you call those skin type bodysuit I guess right uh with uh, with sort of a light purple edging on the outside of the legs and the arms uh, and then he's got these he they look like pterodactyl wings almost right these mm, yeah. these, these, these ridged wings that uh, allow him to fly that are on the outside of his his arms and then he's got this mask. Uh, it, it's hard to describe that mask, but it, it has a certain features of like a bat, right? With long, Indeed. Indeed. Long ears uh, that yes. you would expect on a bat.
0: Yeah, pointing up to the sky. Yeah. The manna has grown silent. Now shall I strike. Creeping over the stonework of the maze, the vampire skitters down the side of the building, head first, like some huge, hideous spider until he comes to an open window. Then he pauses, an awful, barely audible laugh rasping deep in his throat. Just as I thought, Captain America has been given the same guest room he used during World War II. The Falsworths and their penchant for sentimentality have doomed the Yankee. Slowly, the grotesque figure slides into the room, inching, ever closer to his intended target. And we see Steve lying in the bed with his back turned to the window, and this moonlight casts a shadow on his on the room across the bed. One swift snap of the neck and Captain America will no longer be problem for anyone. But just then, Cap has his shield underneath the 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 blanket, and he takes it and smacks him hard into the head. I'm not going to be that easy a victim, Blood. Your hatred for your former family was always your weak spot, Blood. Once I learned that you were free, I knew that you'd have to come back here sooner or later, and I hoped that you'd find me more of a challenging target than your aged brother or Jackie. Looks like I was right. Baron's Blood's only answer is a low, feral snarl and a swift, sudden, devastating blow hits Cap and n- smacks him through the bedroom door out into the hallway. It makes a loud noise, Bob. Crash! I was careless. I have to keep reminding myself that Blood's strength is supernatural in nature, that he's so much stronger than he looks. You have sealed your fate, Captain. I have planned to merely end your miserable life, but now you shall join me in undeath. I doubt that. And he takes from behind his shield that was held in the strap. What is that? It's a string of garlic. I prepared for you, Baron. This loop of garlic should be enough to slow down the mightiest vampire. Ha! Ah! Cuss you! Cuss this dreaded herb and its touches as repugnant to me as its scent. You've got a lot of gall talking about repugnance, Blood. What about those slasher murders? Those three innocent women? Don't you have any conscience at all? Conscious? Is for lesser piece. And he dissolves. Huh? He's turned, he's gone. Turned into mist. But then he pops up right behind him. Of course, fool. Is that not within the power of the undead? And he strikes Cap in the back of the head. But Cap turns and kicks him. I don't care what you turn yourself into, Blood. I'll still find a way to stop you. You're a bold man, Captain, but are you or only a man, whereas I am the scion of Dracula, the Lord of Vampires. Mine is the power to control the fog, the wolf, and the vermin of the earth. Even now, my army of the night is surrounding Falsworth Manor. The longer we battle, the closer they creep towards my dear, damned brother and his family indeed at that moment, in another wing of the manor. Mother, what on earth is that bloody racket? I I don't know, but it seems to be coming from the direction of your grandfather's room. But between Jacqueline and the awful noise, a more silent struggle rages between two old foes. And blood has Cap on the floor on his back. You cannot long resist the full strength of the vampire. He's right, yet for all the blood's power, he can still be taken by surprise. And with my knowledge of leverage, I can use his strength against him. And he flips him out of the hallway into the bedroom of Lord Falsworth. With a split second timing that defies belief, Cat suddenly shifts his weight, propelling Baron blood over him and into the next room. What? Baron blood? Here? Leaping to his feet, Baron Blood ignores the feeble gasp of his mortal brother, turning instead towards Captain America, his eyes ablaze in the semi-darkness. I tire of this battle, Captain. There is no need for me to waste my time in useless combat when my hypnotic powers can halt you in your tracks. And he does. And then we cut to the last page of this issue, and it's a huge splash of a bus shot of Cap standing in a trance with with barren blood when his arms wrapped around his neck his throat and top of his head and his teeth coming closer to his neck and he says yes this is much better you shall stand here enthralled and helpless and then you shall die and three days hence, you shall arise to your eternal damnation as a vampire. Next issue, The Faithful Conclusion, Blood on the Moors. All right, so Bob, on this next uh, issue, 254, it has a cover date of February 1981, uh, but it had a release date of November 11th, 1980. And the creators are the same, Stern, Byrne, Rubenstein, Sharon Novak and Jim Salakrup. how would you uh, how would you describe the the cover here, Bob? it's uh, It's a
1: wonderful cover, Rick, right? I mean, it, uh, in the background, we see the the windows of Fallsworth Manor. and uh, but in the foreground, what do we see? We see cap, and he's on, he's he's basically three quarters on the ground, right? He, he's on his knee with his his right forearm against the ground, and above him, his barren blood leaping down on him with uh, blood, his, his, uh, his left hand and his right hand, his right, his left hand around Cap's throat, his right hand coming down for the fatal strike and Cap's trying to push him off with the shield. But it, he could tell that he's he, he's not on the winning end of this battle. And in the background, yeah. we see Lord Fallsworth, the elderly Lord Fallsworth uh, rising from his wheelchair, but he's wearing the Union Jack uniform
0: indeed yeah it's a really cool cover and the title to this one bob
1: blood on the moors what's a moor? it's a good question i don't know what the hell a moor is <laughs> is it a foggy like low-lying area i don't i don't know gosh i've heard that term so much and, and seen it in movies you know
0: like, yeah uh, I yeah, and it's always something to do with uh England, right? Yeah,
1: it's always foggy on the moors.
0: That's true. It says here it's a track of open uncultivated upland. Huh. Uh heath.
1: What the hell's a heath?
0: Well, it's he's a bar. he's one of our moderators <laughs> in the Facebook
1: group. It's a candy bar.
0: Yes. Yeah. Of course I, I, I see anything that says a tract of land and I, I just want to, you know. She's got huge tracks of land. <laughs> <laughs> Five points to anyone in the Facebook group who can quote what I just said. What what that's from. You know, right, Bob.
1: I don't. I, no? I don't know that one. No, I don't know that one.
0: Oh, should I just give it away then? Yeah, no one's gonna guess. Um, that's from uh, um, Mighty Python's uh, Quest for the Holy Grail, <laughs> when uh, there, um, where the prince is up in the tower uh-huh. and he's about to get married. Uh, and you know he's he's the father keeps pushing him because he wants him to marry him so he gets, you know, anyway. So she's a yeah. she's a, a big woman, right? Yeah, and he goes i don't want to marry her what's wrong with her she's beautiful she's rich and she's got huge and he puts his hands out in front of his <laughs> chest huge tracts of land
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm going to have to i'm going to have to take a look. Good- watch that one this weekend i think with I, Bobby. I mean i think it's time i think the time has come
0: absolutely so blood on the moors is the name of this story we should probably get to it now um so this is a uh a full splash page and again we have cap and trance left off from right where we you know, ended last issue, except it's the full body. So we see uh, the people behind, um, you know, because again, we're in in Lord Fawkesworth's bedroom and he is, you know, the elderly man in his bed. And then we have uh, his daughter and his grandson that are coming in through the hallway. And they're all looking in horror as Baron blood is about to bite Captain's neck, blah, blah, blah. Captain America stands stock still, entranced by the irresistible mesmerizing power of Baron blood, who crawls over his victim, ready to sink fangs into the hero, and turn the living legend into an undead monster. At the door of the chamber, Lady Jacqueline Falsworth Creighton and her son, Kenneth, stand transfixed by the horrifying tableau. While old, enfeebled Lord Falsworth, who was once the British hero known as Union Jack, struggles to sit up in his bed unable to save his old friend and i and he is being referred to as old and enfeebled like i have never seen the word enfeebled so much as i have in this story
1: (laughs) i know i'm starting to worry now that people are using that to describe me yeah and i just hadn't heard it before
0: now you have Barren blood eagerly closes in on Cap's throat, his fetid breath assaulting the hero's nostrils as Cap desperately tries to break free of the vampire's control. A million questions race through the Avenger's mind. How did he come to this predicament? What is he doing here, in England? As if wading through a thick fog, the answers come to mind. It had all begun a mere 24 hours ago with the discovery of a murder victim, a young woman drained of blood, she had not been the first to die in such a manner. Learning of the murder, Lord Falsworth sent a special coded message requesting assistance to Captain America and care of Avengers Mansion. And though the message was laid by phone to Cap's alter ego, Steve Rogers, at an inopportune moment, Cap immediately left for England. There he found that the old Lord believed the murderer to be the wartime foe, barren blood. Falsworth's family, however, thought the old man to be senile. No one believed him. Least of all, Ken's school chum joey chapman but at night but as night fell baron blood did indeed strike at falseworth manor itself stealthily the vampire entered cap's room prepared to end the avenger's life with a quick twist of the neck but cap was prepared for such an attack and immediately launched an all-out offensive against the vampire until the baron managed to enthrall his enemy and now the vampire's fangs are but inches away from Captain America's jugular vein. Nothing can save him now. And then he takes a bite, Bob. Cronk! Which wakes Cap up from the trance. But is it too late? Nothing, that is, except the thin layer of chainmail, which covers his neck. And then you see barren blood rasp at his mouth in pain pain clearing my head. Thank heaven for small favors. Blast you and your cursed protective uniform. If I can't bite your neck, at least I can still break it. Threats are one thing, Baron. Results are something else. Cap, watch out. No need to worry, Ken. It doesn't matter how strong, how powerful an opponent is. Even the mightiest beings can be defeated with the proper application of leverage. I swear, does he always have to bring that up? i mean it's getting old you don't have to give us a dissertation on on leverage but it seems like he does it all the time
1: and here's the fulcrum
0: you'll not make mock of me with your acrobatic tricks captain sooner or later i'll get you it's just a matter of time and he throws a chair at him you can dig again you bloody monster you'll not harm anyone in this household and Ken runs at him with a, uh, uh a, a lamp. A, yeah. Well, I mean, I was trying to think of what kind of lamp that is. It's a floor lamp, right? it's a long yeah. lamp. Yeah. He's holding it like a bat. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ken, let me handle barren blood. You have no idea how deadly he could be. And by the way, did you notice in the mirror behind we see cap but we don't see barren blood's reflection
1: that's right that's right
0: did you notice that
1: i did not
0: you're welcome
1: but i wasn't gonna bring it up though because you know uh there's a lot of reflections in this storyline
0: figurative bob
1: no do you remember like the reflection of cap in the cash register
0: yes mm-hmm.
1: right and that was yeah. an excellent use of mirrors so i think it's happened a few times in the
0: story well at this point though they're pointing out to show well, I, that there's no no vampire
1: well, what i'm saying is that, you know that's just a level of detail that
0: i thought you were talking about reflection on reflecting on the story
1: <laughs> yes i'll be doing that later
0: i could be pretty dangerous myself cap i Eh? Insolent, whelp! you cannot hope to strike one who is the speed of a vampire true. Bah, you are barely worthy of my attention. But yet he grabs his throat. And yet the blood of the falseworths flow in your veins, and all Falseworth blood must be spilled before I am through. Kenneth, no! Let the boy go, blood. It's me that you really want, and you know it. But of course, dear brother, still all who have opposed Baron Blood must die eventually, and I have sworn that those deaths shall come at my hands. Easy, Ken. Go limp. I'll catch you. I'm putting myself in a vulnerable position here, and Blood knows it, but Jackie's son isn't going to be injured if I can help it. Besides, in just a few moments, Baron Blood is the one who will be in a vulnerable position, and he turns to see the sunrise. No, not now, not so soon. The accursed sun is rising. That burning orb's rays are anathema to me, such as me. I can resist the sun's ray for a time in this form, but my powers are greatly weakened. I must flee while there is still time. Cop, you must stop him. He mustn't escape. Don't worry, Lord Falsworth. He's not getting away that easily. There are at least three murders you have to answer for, Baron, not to mention your war crimes. And he goes to die for. I'll answer for nothing, Yankee fool. Gathering all his strength, Cap makes a great leap after the fleeing vampire. But the creature he grabs for no longer possesses the size or form of a man. With a flapping of leathern wings, the bat eludes Cap's grasp. And the star-spangled avenger plummets from the upper story window. With a skill that would astound a champion gymnast, Cap suddenly twists about in midair, snagging hold of an outstretched tree limb, swinging himself around, and lands safely on the ground. Yet, even as he lands, his thoughts are not of himself or his narrow escape, but of his foe's surprising getaway. Incredible. Barren blood has the full power of a vampire. I'd assumed that the treatments the Nazi surgeons gave him during the war to help him resist sunlight, canceled out any shape-changing abilities. It appears that I was wrong. Well, that's one mistake I won't make again. Our next encounter will be our last, Baron. One way or another. Dun-dun-dun! Cap, are you all right? What happened to Baron Blood? I'm fine, Ken. Just annoyed. As for the Baron, he's flown off out of sight. Though probably not very far, if I know him. Blood is a clever beast. I'm sure your mother's told you how he infiltrated Falworth's Manor during the war. What's all the blatant rocket about? I wake up to hear people running down the halls, yelling like buskers. I look out in the front courtyard and I see hundreds of rats going away. What's going on? Those rats were summoned by Baron Blood, Chapman. You've heard of Baron Blood, haven't you? He was a special Nazi agent during the war. He also happens to be a vampire. And after he disappeared, you showed up. Just where have you been, anyway? What? You accusing me of being a bleeding Nazi vampire? You're as daft as old Lord Fallsworth. But daft or not, if you're going to be pointing fingers, you better be pointing. Be ready for a fight. I got the better part of my education in the streets, and I don't take guff from anybody—not even from Captain Bloody America. I grew up in the streets myself, Joey, but I learned to fight from experts. I've had years of combat experience. That puts me several steps ahead of any young art school tough with a nasty temper. What? Hey! I doubt very much that you're barren blood. You fold a little too easy. But vampires have been known to use mortal pawns. Ow! Watch it, yank! You'll break my arm! I don't know anything about any vampires. Honestly. Let him go, Cap. He's telling the truth. I've known Johnny for years, and I can vouch for him. He's just a sound sleeper. That's why he didn't show up until later. All right, Joey. I'll accept Ken's word that you're on the up and up. But watch your step. Come on, Jackie. We're calling on Scotland Yard. an American. War here or not, I'm starting to get just a little blaped tired of the righteous Captain America, can he? You wouldn't be so down on the man if you'd seen what we went through this morning, Joey. Bam bloods may sound like a bad fairy tale but he's all too real. God help us, he's my great-uncle. You see, just before the First World War, my great-grandfather died, and mother's father, as eldest son, became the new Lord Falsworth. Grandfather's younger brother inherited but a small allotment and a great deal of bitterness. At any rate, the brothers set out to better his fortunes on the continent, eventually arriving in the remote sections of Romania known as Transylvania. There, in a crypt deep beneath an ancient castle, he found the resting place of the one he sought, the fabled lord of vampires, Dracula. In his mad ambition, he sought to attain power through control of the vampire lord. But he was not reckoned with Dracula's incredible hypnotic powers. Overcome by the vampire's stare, he dropped his protective cross and became yet another undead minion of Dracula. At his command, my great uncle returned to England to wreak havoc on the homeland of Dracula's longtime enemies, the Hawker family. And as the war broke out, he became a deadly agent in the service of the German Kaiser. He became Baron Blood. Between the World Wars, the Baron dropped out of sight, eventually lying himself with a cause as evil as vampirism, Hitler's Third Reich. Returning to England during World War II, Baron Blood came back to Falsworth Manor in the guise of one John Falsworth, the son of Grandfather's dear departed brother. Hello, Captain Jacqueline. Beautiful morning, what? Shortly thereafter, Mother nearly succumbed to the Baron's bite. Indeed, she would probably have become an undead herself were it not for the timely intervention of that wartime superhero team, the Invaders. Baron Blood was defeated in that battle, but at a terrible price. Grandfather's legs were crushed, leaving him a cripple for life. And Mother's life was saved only by an emergency transfusion of blood from the android known as the Human Torch. Still and all, and out of that tragic battle, was born a new super-being, where the strange artificial blood of the torch transformed Mother into the superfast spitfire. Mother's speed faded with the passage of time, of course, that my Uncle Brian succeeded Grandfather as the second Union Jack. In fact, Brian was still semi-active as Union Jack up until his death in 1953. I think Grandfather would have liked for me to have become a third Union Jack, but my heart isn't into that sort of thing. I just don't see myself as the conquering hero type. Law Kenny, I knew your family had done a lot during the war, but I never dreamt that they were... Connected with the inviters, I guess the captain was right to read me out like he did, all things considered. Meanwhile, a few miles away, on the outskirts of the nearby village, a dark form hurriedly approaches an open cottage window and passes through, assuming once more the form of a man. Blast! I had hoped that the passage of the time had dulled the young Yanks battle-savvy. But if anything, he's become more formidable than ever. I shall have to rethink my plans for revenge. That shall have to wait. However, for now, it is important that I resume my protective disguise to better resist the power of the sun. With practice movements, the undead creature slips on the specially constructed life mask and the padded undergarments, and gradually he assumes a more benevolent mind, so that moments later, When he answers a timid knock at his door, he has become a very different man. Hello, Dr. Cromwell. I'm sorry to bother you so early in the morning and all, but I'm still having them terrible dreams at night, and I feel so tired. Why, it's no bother at all, Jenny. After all, it's the lot of a doctor to help the troubled. Come right in. You're just in time for... breakfast dun 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 it's the doctor bob the doctor's barren blood who would have guessed rick but but he he made cap leave because he was talking about vampires
1: i know and i mean he lost his daughter wow yeah
0: talk about a twist
1: it is didn't see that coming
0: Hours later, the main hall of Falsworth Manor becomes a beehive of activity as representatives of Scotland Yard assembled to map out strategy. Roy, right. Now we must assume that the vampires hold up somewhere in this immediate facility. I agree, Inspector Sweeney. As you know, Baron Blood is at his weakest by day. And since he now seems to have full vampiric powers, he may even be forced to spend his days in a coffin. That's just a theory, of course. Whatever the case... A search for the surrounding area is definitely in order. It's urgent that we find blood before nightfall. I want to help in the search, Cap. I know the area and, well, I never thought I'd say this, but destroying Baron Blood is kind of a family duty. If Kenny wants in on this, then so do I. If you'll have me, Cap'n. All right. We can use all the manpower we can muster for this. They've practically forgotten I'm here. Baron Blood is my brother. And my enemy, but time has stolen this battle from me. If only I could stand. If only Union Jack could live again. And so, while Lord Falsworth sits helplessly by, the search begins for a man long undead. A crew of specially trained law enforcers scoured the caves at the edge of the Falsworth estate. How are there specially trained law enforcers like? They're specially trained to go after vampires. Huh?
1: Yeah, they have. They, they have. They have a cross. Oh, of course. Okay. And they're wearing their special garlic cologne. Yeah.
0: Even his cap and the inspector question the townspeople of the nearby village. And you are sure you've never heard nor seen anything unusual of late? Sorry, we can't help you, mate, Mr. Sweeney. Aside from them strange murders, everything's been quiet as death itself. No stone is left unturned. Every cemetery is checked for signs of recent disturbance. Every vicar is consulted and warned of the vampire's suspected presence. A house-to-house search is instituted, but everywhere the results are the same. Barren blood is nowhere to be found. By late afternoon, two young volunteers, frustrated by the fruitless search, retire to their favorite pub to mull things over. So you boys haven't turned up a thing. I think you'd be grateful. I know I'd be scared to death if I were to come across a real vampire. I did come across him, Jenny. Just last night. He's a ghastly enough sight, to be sure. But even a vampire can be defeated. Right, Joey? If you say so, Cunny. Me? I'm still getting used to the idea that such a creature could exist. I say, Jenny. Have you been unwell? You seem so pale and jittery. Oh, it's just a touch of anemia, Kenneth. Dr. Cromwell's been treating me, but I can't seem to shake it. Well, listen, then. If you aren't better soon, I'll see about getting you in a C-S specialist in London. I can't have the woman I'm going to marry be ill. Go on with you now, Kenneth. You know that your mother would never stand for you marrying a commoner. I'm just. Oh, and she faints. Jenny! Catch her quick, Kenny! Within moments. Put her here on the cart in the back room, lads. I'll go get the smelling salts. Praise the Lord, she's coming around but her breathing's so shallow. I'm taking this blasted choker off her. Call Kenny, look! Her neck! And what is it, Bob? What's on oh her my neck?
1: God, it's the telltale sign of a vampire's bite, Rick.
0: There's two holes there. Meanwhile, several thousand miles to the west, in the section of Met- metropolitan in New York, known as Brooklyn Heights, Specifically, in the apartment studio Captain America maintains in his identity of Steve Rogers, two women are busily involved in a bit of custodial maintenance. Bob, what's going on here?
1: Wow, Uh, it looks like uh, Mrs. Kappelbaum and Bernadette are cleaning the hooch. Without Steve's permission?
0: Yes. They're just in there, just cleaning? Cleaning, wow. There, that takes care of the vacuuming. It was so good of you to offer help me look after Steve's place while he's gone, Bernie. It's no trouble, Mrs. Kappelbaum. Actually, the place is surprisingly clean when you consider how erratic and absent-minded Steve seems to be. Really? I always thought of Steve as being fairly level-headed. And listen, you call me Anna, or I'll start calling you Miss Rosenthal. All right, Anna. You know, Steve such a nice young man, you'd make a lovely couple. Now, wait a minute. I like Steve, but there's nothing between us that's at all serious. I mean, who can have a relationship with a man who suddenly drops everything to fly to England and doesn't even have the decency to... ...call? Hello? Steve Rogers residence? No, I'm sorry. He's not here right now. No, he's in England. I'm telling you this because you're a complete stranger, and I figured I'd just let everybody know his private business. (laughs) And then his place is... You know, probably open for a robbery. <laughs> no, he didn't say where he could be reached. I was hoping that he'd... What? No, I'm, I'm just a friend. Well, then, when your friend, Steve, gets back, you could tell him that Carmine called. Carmine from the plumber ad agency. And I had a job for him. Emphasize the had. After all, he's not that good an artist. Oh, Anna, that was Steve's art director calling. And I'm afraid he just lost a big assignment. Now, dear, don't fret. Stephen can straighten everything out when he returns. And remember, he's a freelance artist. I'm sure there'll be plenty of other assignments for a man so bright and resourceful. More than enough to support a wife. Maybe a family. I wonder if a June wedding would be too soon. At that very moment, across the wide Atlantic, Cap returns to Fallsworth Manor on the run. Nearly a whole day of searching, and we found nothing. I have to call Scotland Yard for more manpower. I want the entire manor surrounded by an armed guard tonight. Otherwise, Baron Blood is sure to get at the Fallsworths. I wonder if Ken and Joey have turned up anything. They haven't checked in yet. Your search has been in vain, hasn't it, Steve? I'm not surprised. My brother was devious even before he died. Huh? Lord Falsworth, sir, pardon me, but what the devil do you think you're doing? Isn't it obvious? Union Jack has been Baron Blood's arch-foe since the First World War. I intended to become Union Jack once again, if only for one night. I'm sure my brother will be unable to resist such a tempting target. I know I stand little chance of overcoming him, but At least I'll draw him out of hiding. I leave it to you to end my misery, should he succeed in making a vampire out of me. And he's dressing as Union Jack. He's, of course, sitting in the wheelchair. He puts on the mask. Sir, this is totally unnecessary. I assure you that we can protect... Protect whom? Protect me from my brother while others needlessly die? No, I'm an old man who's outlived his usefulness. But I could still be of some help, as bait. And neither you nor anyone else shall deny me that role. And just then, Jacqueline's walking by. I I haven't heard that kind of power in my father's voice since Brian died. I'd almost forgotten the man he once was. Perhaps he's right. No, what am I thinking? He can no more be Union Jack than I could be Spitfire again. Too many years have passed for both of us. All right, I call sh- shenanigans here Bob. I I'm I, I think this is kind of poor craftsmanship. There's no way that she's walking by the bedroom of Lords Fallsworth. And then she goes to the next open room, and there's a Spitfire costume hanging on the wall. Like, if she has no intention to ever be Spitfire again, why is it just randomly hanging on a wall?
1: Well, I I don't know. Maybe it's her I Love Me wall. I mean, Cap has his wall with all his stuff, right? I mean, we can't see the whole wall. We just see the part of the wall where the Spitfire costume is, uh, is, is displayed on the wall. But, you
0: know. All right. You're being very generous.
1: If I was a superhero, I'd be hanging it on my wall.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And I'd be walking by it every day and going, Oh, I wish I could fit in that.
0: I know, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I really need to do something about that. I'm gonna fit in that again.
0: Yeah. You wanna hear you wanna hear something crazy? Yeah. So back when I was a uh late teens, I used to I used to have a boogie board. Uh-huh. You know what a boogie board is? Sure, yeah. Okay. So, um, and I used to, off the Delaware beaches, I used to go out and you know, boogie board. And yeah. sometimes, it, you know, it was later in the season, get a little cold. And I had flippers and uh, I had a spring suit. Do you Ooh. know what a spring suit is?
1: Is, is that like a, is it like a lightweight wetsuit?
0: Exactly. It's yeah. a short sleeve wetsuit. So yeah. it's it's a wetsuit, but the sleeves are short and the legs are short. so that like it goes down to your knees and elbows yeah right and it's one of those things where it's really form fitting Uh and then there's a zipper on the back that's it and and it's it's like made of like rubber like it's like a real you know material and then there's this long cord on the the zipper on the back because it's the only way you can do it without help is like you have to pull it up I can still fit in it
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, if I don't see pictures, it ain't true.
0: All right. <laughs> All right. I can do that for you. All right. Uh, I could do that for you. But no, I, I, I'm very proud to say that I can, I can still wear stuff right. from, uh, you know, college.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good for you, man. Good for you.
0: So I, that'd right. be my problem. I would hang my spring suit on the wall and your- walk by it every day.
1: Yes, you should.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> <clears throat> now I just had the hair to go with it. <laughs> Father, have you taken totally of your senses? The very idea of you masquerading as Union Jack is, is ludicrous. Now, Jackie, I... Don't interrupt me, Steve. He needs to hear this. Father, you simply must start acting your age. The war is over, long over. But here you are, still trying to fight it. For you have to face Baron Blood would be suicidal, and I won't stand for it. Now you listen to me, Jacqueline. That bloody vampire is a Falsworth, and the Falsworths have always taken responsibility for their black sheep. Even Kenneth understands that. I'll see Baron Blood vanquished if it's it's the last thing I do. And he falls over, clutching his chest. Lord Falsworth, father. My heart. Once again, the manor becomes alive with frantic activity, and when the family doctor is finally summoned to the aged hero's bedchambers. I'm sorry about the mask, Dr. Cromwell, but the lordship insisted. Given the events of the past few days, that's quite understandable. At least the cloth is porous enough that it shouldn't interfere with his breathing. I'm glad you at least gave him his medication. He seems to be resting well enough. But that's not that's not doctor Cromwell. That's actually Baron Blood in disguise, Bob.
1: Yes, and he's very attentive, you know, doctor.
0: I think he's waking now. Why don't you and Lady Crichton wait outside? This examination could take a while. Of course, doctor. Come on, Jackie. And then he slams the door behind them and it clicks the lock. But look at that look on his face, Bob.
1: He has a somewhat of a leering look, yes.
0: It's a maniacal smile. And now that we have some privacy, let us get on with our examination. Dear brother. Yes, you waking fool. Your devoted doctor of these past few years has been barren blood. Oh, how I've longed for this moment when you would be totally at my mercy. I've been tempted so many times in the past months. but The waning, the prolonging of your wretched, pitiful life has been worth it. And he rips off his masks. But you were defeated. Your remains locked away in the Tower of London. How? How was I resurrected? There was a bit of luck. In recent years, Dracula was again in this land, brother. One of his mortal pawns learned of my existence and pulled the stake from my heart, restoring me. That pawn was the real Dr. Cromwell. He soon became my pawn as well. I used him to gain certain information and knowledge, and when his usefulness was over, I ended his life and that of his daughter, taking his place as the kindly country doctor. As Dr. Cromwell, it was simple to sustain myself with a few anemic patients, though I must admit to weakening to my baser compulsions of late and committing the so-called slasher murders. But I was careful to kill my victims before draining their blood. I shall not be so careful with you, dear brother. I shall slowly drain your blood, and you shall join the ranks of the undead remaining old and feeble throughout eternity. I don't think so, chum. Not so long as the dirk of good British sterling silvers are by my side. Ha! And he does. And it's it's not. Who is it? He's He doesn't look old, but he has the uh, silver he, dagger that he, he...
1: Yeah, he's moving his legs.
0: No, it's not possible. You're old. Feeble! Where's that word again, Bob? And he gets kicked in the face. Wrong again, Baron. I'm more than strong enough to handle the likes of you. But till the sun goes down, your strength isn't half so supernatural, now is it? Now I see. A third man has dared assume the role of Union Jack. Cretness fool, I am still mighty enough to destroy you, as easily as I shall drain the life from the original. And he picks up the wardrobe. And he goes to toss it. He's lifting that wardrobe as though it was nothing. At the last possible instant, Union Jack ducks beneath the hurtling oaken cabinet and fires his weapon, Bob. damn You have a lot more on target than that to stop me, Baron. And I have to learn to shoot better, too. Blast! I'm not used to the kick from this old Webley. But then... Crash! Cap comes busting through the door of this shield. U.J., I heard you shot. Did you get him? I can answer that question, Captain. He did not, nor shall he get a second chance to fire his silver-jacketed bullets. Hey! And he knocks the gun out of his hand. I don't know how you managed to see through my deception, but I shall find out easily enough once you are again in my power. Tell it to the chaplain, Baron. croiky What a kick. You made a serious mistake in your work as Dr. Cromwell. You were feeding off the blood of a young lady whom Ken Crichton was quite fond of. She should live now, no thanks to you. Anyway, the boys were able to get word back to me just after we put through the emergency call to the doctor, which gave us just enough time to set you up with Union Jack 3. Prepared or not, you'll never defeat me. Never! Would you be willing to put a wager on that, Baron? U.J., look out. He's turning back on you. Ha! You ally yourself with amateurs, you Yankee fool. I have more than enough power to evade this stripling. I need not assume the form of a bat to get away from your insipid trap. But know you this. Barren blood shall return. And when I do, there shall be no mercy shown. None. I shall die from my vampiric bite. Yes, when I return. Falseworth Manor will echo with the cries of the newly undead and he's flying away Bob but faster by far than the gliding barren blood is the whizzing shield of Captain America like a thing alive it rockets across the great hall ricocheting back at just the angle Cap calculated to drive the undead monster from the air before bouncing back to its owner's grasp that accursed shield again I'm through with you. You'll never throw it or anything else again. I doubt that. Let me put the lie into him, Cap. This blade shall work just as well as the wooden stake through that heart. Baron Blood's only response is a bestial snarl and a springing bound which once again takes the youthful Union Jack by surprise. Oh! Blazes, I was afraid of this. Union Jack is too inexperienced at this sort of thing. I have to distract the vampire or Jack's a dead man. Baron, over here! And he pulls down the curtains. With one powerful yank, Cap rips loose the heavy curtains, letting the late afternoon sun flood into the chamber. Now! Not again! You'll not be saved by the sun again! Like a bat out of the very depths of haze, Baron Blood launches himself at his star-spangled tormentor. You have made a most grievous error! "'This is not the light of a rising sun, but that of a setting one. "'Soon it shall be twilight, and until then I can endure the pain.' "'In that case, I'll just have to stop you before sunset, Baron. "'And believe me, I will. I must. "'I've pledged myself to the preservation of life and liberty, "'whereas you represent nothing but death and decay, "'and that makes you my enemy, mister.' "'Yes, we are enemies, and you are a fool.' In the end, death wins. Death always wins. Got to get up and help Cap. I'm so groggy. Blood nearly thrown the life out of me. And so Cap's on top of Baron Blood and he's punching down, but Baron Blood keeps clawing at his chainmail, actually ripping his chainmail, Bob. Cap struggles valiantly, but he can feel Baron Blood's strength slowly growing as the sun sinks in the west, and he knows it is only a matter of time before the monster wins. It is then that he recalls Lord Falsworth's words, There is only one way to totally destroy a vampire. And in that moment, he knows what he must do. But he's struggling. Wow, these two panels, actually these three panels, show... Cap's face struggling, and then it zooms in more, and it zooms in more, and we see the angst in Steve's face, and he says, No. Oh, no. The deed is horrible to comprehend, but he knows that he has no other recourse, and he pulls his shield up, and he comes down, decapitating barren blood bloody, and it makes a noise, (laughs) Bob. And then the champion can only look on as the human facade of barren blood melts away and the monster is revealed for what he truly is. It is a victory to be sure, but it is not a clean victory. Joey, is it... It's all over, Kenny. Thank heaven above, it's over. And so he pulls off his mask and it's his friend, Joey. I'm just glad he was able to convince Cap to let me play Union Jack. You'd have never survived his attack. You always were the stronger of us too, Joe. Yeah, right. Mother, I don't know if you should see this. I saw the Warsaw ghetto in the Nazi death camps, Kenneth. I'll hold up. But Cap... The man's all right. He just had to do his job, and it wasn't a pleasant one. Lay him alone for a moment, okay? And we do. We see Cap got his right hand up against the doorway and his head, his face, in in his left palm as he leans over, and you can tell he's very distraught. Hours later, out on the moors, the last remains of the undead beast, which has been barren blood, are consumed to the flames. And the menace of the Nazi vampire is ended for all time. It's done, Grandfather. Baron blood will never threaten anyone again. Did you hear, Father? Kenneth said... I'm afraid he can't hear you, Jackie. What? Oh, Cap, he's... he's gone. It must have been his heart. It he finally gave out. He was a good man, Jackie, the best. And he went to his reward, knowing that his brother's evil had been overcome at last. And then we cut to the last page, which is a big splash page. And there's an image of Union Jack in the background. And then we see Cap and the Walsworth family and Joey wheeling the body away. There's a sunrise in the back. Once there was a mighty empire whose lands reached across the globe and upon which the sun never set. Strong it was and powerful and never did it meet defeat at the hands of any other nation. Time passed and bit by bit the empire was whittled away until it was but a fraction of its former size. Today the empire is all but gone, and some say that the glory and the grandeur of the mighty realm, that England, is gone forever. But the people of that fabled land live on, and they are still a good people, a great people, a people possessed of all the strength, might, and indomitable will which forged that empire of days gone by. And as long as that people endure, as long as a few of those valiant hearts and minds and souls persist, then shall the spirit of Union Jack live on. And then it says this uh, issue was dedicated to Frank Robbins, who is the creative artist and storytelling wizard and the man who first drew Union Jack.
1: There you have it.
0: Yep. There you go. That's the story. I'm a little surprised this says dedicated to Frank Robbins. It's a, you know, that usually is something that's saved for people who have passed, right? Like you get the impression like, you know, person's past, but Frank Robbins is alive at this point and will be for the next like, you know, twelve to thirteen years. Um, so that's interesting. But um yeah, what'd you think, Bob?
1: It's a great story, Rick. Uh, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns. Art's great, the storytelling is great, the dialogue's great, and it's great to see Bear Blood. Well, you know, always great to see Bear Blood again. Uh, one of the more interesting uh, villains from the Invaders era. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So let's let's get to the part we said we were going to talk about, right? Because we've we've talked in the past about whether or not Cap kills, and I know sometimes we point to this, right? We'll say, "Oh, well, he he killed the Ultimate Agent. He killed Baron Blood." What are your thoughts on that Bob? I have mine, but I want to hear yours.
1: Yeah, I mean I I don't really put this in the same category as the Ultimatum Agent because as was pointed out in the story, Baron Blood was already the undead. He was dead. So, you know, uh, is it any different than dispatching a, a machine or you know maybe one of Arnim Zola's creations? Um, you know, I think he's beyond redemption at this point. He, there's no coming back from where um the junior uh, fallsworth was by this point so did he kill him i i don't think so he was already dead
0: i'm going to lean in the same direction i i i you know can you kill something that's not alive um again i guess then we, we get into some sort of like you know philosophical debate you know what is live? uh mm-hmm. do you you know do you need to have a soul to be alive uh, because obviously he doesn't have a soul right because you know he's a, a vampire and theoretically vampires are not supposed to have souls so um you know you can get into a philosophical debate but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna side with you here i think um even though it weighed on captains you know you know, weighed heavily on his heart to, to do that. You know, I think they stern and burn painstakingly made sure to, to focus on the fact that you know he didn't take this lightly and it really bothered him um, to, to do this. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, they think he made the right choice.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I think so too. I mean, I, I think, you know there is there one could like overplay the hand right i mean we know that you know steve rogers doesn't kill because i think he always believes that there's a chance of redemption right Mm -hmm. somebody can always change and Mm -hmm. you know all along uh along the way we have seen people change right we've seen bad guys become good guys right Mm -hmm. so it is possible uh and in this case you know i i i don't think it's possible i don't think you come back from from being a vampire i'm not familiar maybe 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 there are stories of. of...
0: apparently you didn't never watched buffy the vampire slayer and angel
1: (laughs) right right i didn't uh you know so so but but you see him wrestling with it right because that is sort of baked into his character uh -hmm. even though i think on some level he understood clearly he understood that Baron blood was not coming back from this and that there was only one option mm-hmm. at this point um and i think you know this this is what presents this character as as interesting right Baron blood is an interesting antagonist for, for cap in this story because mm-hmm. of that reality that cap has this belief system but Barren Blood is, is beyond that belief system at this point. And there's, it, it I don't, I, I can't think of any other character off the top of my head that that same sort of paradox could be brought to the fore.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, all good points. Uh, I would agree with you on that. Um, you know, I, I I enjoyed the story as well. Uh, I think I it was good, you know, kind of reminds you a little bit of a murder mystery, right? I'm mean, they they threw, you know, some, red herrings out there with joey you know like oh here's this stranger that comes in you know Mm -hmm. and kind of play that up uh certainly um i think stern does a good job with you don't guess it's the doctor right because you know you see this character in, in the very very beginning of this story and typically you know that wouldn't be the villain Right. So that I was kind of like through you a little bit. And then, of course, when he says, you know, I don't believe in vampires and, you know, got upset, you know. So uh, I thought that was a good job. Little little twist there, you know, uh, of trying to to throw the reader off. Uh, So I enjoyed that. And the art was top notch. So let's get into that, Bob. What uh, I think you go first this time. What is uh, your favorite panel?
1: Well, uh, I think I'm gonna have to go with uh, page nine of. Uh, nope, I'm, I'm I'm gonna take that back. I'm gonna go with page 19 of uh, issue 253, and it's that it's that panel where you know Cap is uh, he's initially it looks like he's asleep, and mm-hmm. Baron Blood sneaks up on him, and then he pulls back the covers and he's got his shield and he smacks uh old baron blood right yeah in the face. I, I love that's that a panel. good one it's great you can almost feel like the action in that one and that, mm-hmm. you know the the reverberation of the shield you know vibrating off a of baron blood's face great panel
0: it is a good one what about um, you i and i i know the owner of the the page before that uh the one where he's um that gargoyle and he's sliding down the, the wall so I'm still I'm still searching for a, a John Byrne Captain America page, uh, one of these days. I hope it's on my bucket list for 23. Um, so my favorite panel, I'm going to go with the same issue issue uh, 253, and I'm going to go with page four panel four. Uh, I am a sucker for caps shield ricochet, mm-hmm. and I. I love seeing Cap's shield ricochet. And so it's the one where the guy's running down the alleyway and we see the back of Cap and we see him his arms throwing and you see the clang clang. Um, I don't know. I I like the perspective, right? Like, you know, we've seen Cap throw his shield before many times. A lot of times it's from the side. Um, But this perspective is pretty cool. Um, so I like that and, and, and seeing how it's going after and getting in front of the, the guy who's running away.
1: I like yeah, it. I do. And I like how it foreshadows uh, that same sort of shield throw to knock Baron blood back. Yeah. Where it goes at, in front in the of very, him. at the very end of the arc. So
0: yeah, I thought the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Very neat. All right. Uh, t-shirt worthy. I go first on this. Ooh, um, okay. I gotta say, Bob, I'm gonna go with uh 254, mm-hmm. page 20, the bottom two panels Ooh. where caps over top of barren blood. Yeah, and he picks up his shield and then he throws it down. Now, I didn't say this when I was going through the story, but we see the silhouette, right? The shadow on the wall. So we don't actually see him decapitate him. But we see the shadow of the shield coming down, and we see the reaction of of Joey as um,
1: Union Jack. yeah,
0: as Union Jack. Yeah. so, uh, which I thought was a really artistic way of doing that. I thought yeah. that was a really good job of, you know, keeping it within uh, the 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 code, you know, comic book yeah. authority code, right? Yeah, but also at the same time, you're showing two different things. You're showing the action done, and then you're showing the reaction to the action. Yeah, and it's all in the same panel, which I thought was really cool. So I would see those two panels. I would like to see that on a t-shirt.
1: Oh, nice, nice. <clears throat> How about you? Well, you know, uh, I was gonna go with that—that that, uh, half about a half-page uh, panel on uh, page nine that shows you know the invaders. With uh-huh. the Invaders era villains, because I, you know, I loved, I'd love to have an Invaders T-shirt, and I, I don't have one, and and I'm a big fan of of those stories, but you know, I I reflected upon that, and I decided I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go with uh, I'm I'm going to go with an unusual pick, and so I think it's page six. I think it's like two or three pages before that, and it's the one of Steve, you know, where he's changing on the roof, uh-huh. and he's got the shirt half on, half off, and he's kind of got a three quarter turn looking off, and he says. Because it's about time that Steve Rogers enjoyed a night on the town.
0: I like thinking, that one.
1: That would make an awesome t shirt, right? It there. really
0: would. It really and, and, would. And
1: that would be the t shirt you'd wear out on the town.
0: Exactly.
1: Right? Yeah.
0: Especially if your name's Steve Rogers.
1: Yeah, that works. If you're we going have to a Steve Rogers. We do. In this yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. Definitely wear that out.
0: <laughs> That's cool. I like that. All
1: right. What about your time capsule, Rick?
0: My time capsule capsule is going to be um, when Cap and Bernie are on the couch oh and the, he gets a call from Jarvis mm-hmm. and he got a cable from uh, yeah. from his Lord Fallsworth. right um and I just think a cable, Really like that. That's totally dating it, right. You know, you might you might as well just set a telegraph, you know, I mean, like, you know, he got a cable wired, you know, so um, I thought that was very much uh, a dated thing in this. Otherwise, I think this this story could be read at any time, you know, you know, there's not too many things that date that. and, And but that was one of them how about you what's going in your time capsule
1: you know i i i do like the the call out to old calcutta um which folks probably would have understood more back then than than now now we have all kinds of you know things that go far beyond old calcutta but but i'm going to go with the Concorde flight um that 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 cap took because you know the Concorde only operated between i think like 1976 and 2000 and as we know that. Air France flight uh, crashed in 2000, and and it was the whole Concorde uh, fleet was discontinued after that. So that you know, only had what 14 years. I don't know. 24. 20, 20 24 years. Uh, yeah, way where, to narrow
0: it down.
1: Yeah, the Concorde was was operating, but it, you know, at that time, it was the height of like speed and luxury. You could fly from you could fly from Paris to uh, to Dallas in roughly two and a half hours so it was you know it was pretty pretty cool Mm -hmm. Uh, which as i said earlier my dad you know that was his dream to fly on the concord so back then you know to take the Concorde was like the epitome of luxury yeah um and that just doesn't exist anymore yep
0: very cool very cool well i enjoyed doing this um we only have like two one issue stories left uh, to do the stern burn area, so we gotta we gotta pace ourselves, Bob. Uh, maybe we'll do this another year, <laughs> but <laughs> but let's talk about what we are going to do, Bob. So right. next episode, we are going to be going fast forward two years. That's right, we're going from 1981 to 1983. Normally, we we like to mix things up, but you know what I mentioned before about a, a special. Birthday coming up for one of um a longtime Captain America creators, and one other than Sal Buscema is going to have a birthday coming up.
1: Well, that well, we need to celebrate that. I got to tell you, you know, Sal is is probably, I'd say, Sal is probably my favorite Cap artist. Yeah. So. Um, So yeah, we definitely got to do something for Sal.
0: Yeah. Well, his birthday is January 26th. So uh, this next episode is going to come out on January 25th. So what better way to celebrate him? And we figured we would do Sal Basema's last Captain America story that he ever did the interior art for. And that is going to be captain america 285 now you may say well all right well you know what else is special about that uh, uh, that issue um well Jay and de, de- mateus wrote it and it is a story uh featuring the villain porcupine so you might remember this cover it's a beautiful Mike Zeck cover where cap is running on a rooftop and up above him is porcupine showering down needles on him as he's running and putting his shield up it's a really cool cover um but this one also features Jeff Mace. Now, Bob, just real quickly, just remind everybody who Jeff Mace is.
1: Yeah. Well, he was the third Captain America, right? After William Naslin uh, perished uh, fighting Adam, um, then Adam Two, I should say. Uh, Jeff Mace uh, pick, picked up the shield and the uniform and became Captain America and continued uh, serving as Captain America until what, around 1949.
0: So, yeah. And he was, uh, also formerly the Patriot, right? Indeed. Yes. Yeah. So this is a special heartwarming tale about Jeff Mace. Uh and it's again art by Sal Busima. So we will have that uh next episode. So come back for that for episode 120. Then episode 121, which is the the first uh Wednesday of the month of February, we always have a guest during that episode. Uh we're not going to tell you exactly who that's going to be just yet. But um, that's gonna be a real fun uh, interview there. That comes out February first, episode one twenty two. We're gonna kick off Bob, our our long tail story, uh, meaning this is such a, a long story that we don't you know we we don't want to break it up in just one or two episodes. We're gonna actually break this up. So we're gonna go to Castaway in Dimension Z. Now that was Volume 7, which was written by Rick Remender and drawn by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna. Uh, And that's the one where Cap finds himself stuck in Dimension Z, which is Z for Zola. And we're going to do the first 10 uh, issues of that volume, which is the complete castaway in Dimension Z story. And we're going to do that on the second Wednesday of every month for the next 10 months. So that'll be fun.
1: That will be fun. And and it's worth doing. Uh, And I have to, I have, I owe it to you, Rick, uh, because, you know, I read that when it came out and I, you know, I wasn't enamored with it. I didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. it didn't hold my attention. Right. Uh, And it wasn't until you encouraged uh, not just me, but uh, you encouraged other, other members of the Facebook group to, to, to read it more carefully, dig into it a little bit that I went back and I reread it and I found that I really enjoyed it um, the second time around. So uh, I'm excited to do this because I think there's a lot of folks who maybe haven't given it a second read and, and they need to.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm i falling in the same category. I, I didn't love it when I first read it. Um, and I think because too, it was such a vast difference between following Ed Brubaker for all those years, right? Yeah. It was a different, type of story, which I think they had to do because you know you can't follow head prue baker and try to do an Edward Baker story. Um so uh, I am looking forward to covering this with our our listeners as well. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, all right, Bob, my voice is gone. And I I don't want to have to do a British accent again for quite some time. <laughs> and thank you very much for not doing your pip pip Well, uh,
1: There it goes. There it goes yeah. <laughs> Hey, I do want to point out, though, uh, that last splash page in 254, uh-huh. that indeed is Union Jack number three. And it was the first appearance of of uh, yes. the current Union Jack. So,
0: Well, I don't know if that was the, the issue definitely is the first appearance of, of Union Jack three. Right. No doubt. I don't know if that last splash was right. It could have been uh an homage to the fallen fallsworth oh, who just passed true, you know true. Because, yeah. because here he is up in up in yeah. the sky right yeah. you know with the clouds and the sunbeams and everything it's a good point. uh yeah. i i that's how i interpreted it but yeah but you know yeah who knows it, it right? could have been you know yeah. uh your stupid way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well
1: who can argue with that okay <laughs> right no
0: no i i know yeah. it could totally have been that way absolutely um and that's the beauty of art right we all have yeah. our interpretations
1: some are right some are wrong yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> well bob it was fun it was fun rapping cap with yeah, you
1: sure it was let's do it again
0: all right blah 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 <laughs> all right he's bob lucius i'm rick Verbonis, and you have been listening to another episode of the captain america comic book fans podcast tick tock to do